imagining a better future and embracing the sacredness of life. And today, through an encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus, we get to wonder about choosing a different life. So we're going to hear the scripture passage today, which comes to us from the third chapter of John, verses 1 through 17. And I asked my sweet friend, Amy Dunn, to read it for us. Um, Amy, you're like a junior at Riverview. Amy used to come and play at my house when she was like this. So it's mm, so great. So listen to the word of God. Good morning. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Whatever what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the order, but in order that the world may be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Amy. Let's pray. Open our hearts and our minds, O God, to hear the word you might intend for each one of us on this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when's the last time that you have played hide-and-go-seek? It's certainly been a few years for me, but you remember the classic game, right? Where the person that's it covers their eyes and they count to 100 and everyone scatters to find the best hiding places. And then the counter, the person who is it, is then on a quest to find all of those hidden people wherever they are. After a certain amount of time, if it can't find one or more of the players, she yells the phrase that means, it's safe to come out of your hiding place. Come on in, wherever you are. It's a new game. Ali Ali Oxen free. Now you know that this game is always way more fun in the dark. It's so much easier and you can hide so much better in the dark. And we like to hide, don't we? When we meet Nicodemus, 
he is hiding in the dark. Now, Nicodemus was a man of the law. That's what it meant to be a Pharisee. Not that he was a lawyer, but that his sole purpose was to serve God by a scrupulous observation of regulation, governing every aspect of behavior, thought, speech, diet, hygiene, relationships, work, leisure, and worship. The chosen people lived by the Mosaic law, but that wasn't good enough for the Pharisees. They sought God in ritual perfection. Surprisingly, I think Nicodemus saw something of God in Jesus that he felt like he just had to check out himself. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus, yet he isn't willing to risk his reputation or his status by associating with Jesus when anyone else could see them. John made it clear to us that this powerful Jew came to Jesus in the night. So from the shadows, Nicodemus approaches Jesus, and then Jesus shines a light that gives him a new way of seeing things. To this man who has made his life's work as one who is seeking God, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born from above. Born again. Well, this completely befuddles old Nicodemus. Clearly, a grown person cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again. Nicodemus is obviously thinking of a very literal and physical birth. Jesus tries to clear things up with a word picture that powerfully utilizes the double meaning of that Greek word pneuma, spirit and wind. In verse 8, Jesus says, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. By connecting spirit to wind, it's as if Jesus says, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but you experience the wind. You experience it. You don't control it. Even if you can't comprehend rebirth of the Spirit from above, come experience it. Come and see, come into the light, be born again. I have to confess, when I was reading this passage this past week, that I had the same response as Nicodemus. How can this be? I want to see and enter the kingdom of God. I want to be born again, don't you? Now, I know that to feel and who experience the wind, you have to go outside. I recently discovered this wonder of the cool breeze on the new bike that I got for Christmas. Oh, but, but that's, there it is. <laughs> it's got a basket and everything, and I kind of feel like, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West when I'm riding along like this, except you see that it's robin egg blue, like from head to basket to bike. So anyway, I wonder if John's use of Nicodemus in the darkness juxtaposed against Jesus who is the light of the world, might give us a clue about experiencing the Spirit. So let's look at this encounter again between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus literally means conqueror of the people. Jesus told him that he needed to start his life over. 
As conqueror of the people, Nicodemus could function well in the kingdom of the Pharisees and the kingdom of the Roman and Jerusalem politicians. But the kingdom of God? Well, that needs another kind of life orientation. What a contrasting encounter it was. The conqueror of nations and the suffering servant, son of God, light of the world. Power, prestige, and privilege in conversation with compassion, servanthood, and service. Perhaps it's embracing these Jesus traits that helps us to come out of the darkness and into the warmth of the light for a rebirth. And we can do this even if we hold a position of power like a past president once did. On July 3rd, 1988, an American Navy ship thought it was under attack by an Iranian F-14. In response, the Navy gunned down the Iranian airliner containing 290 civilian passengers, killing all of them. Polls revealed that most Americans were against paying compensation for the families of the Iranian victims. You know, the hostage crisis was still fresh in many people's minds. In spite of this, President Reagan approved compensation. After this decision, Reagan was asked by reporters if such payment would send the wrong signal. His response was, I don't ever find compassion a bad precedent. Wise words from a powerful person. Revenge may be easier to practice, but compassion demonstrates the heart of God. Compassion takes us into the light. It seems like compassion has been hollowed out a bit in culture as being a squishy kumbaya or an unrealistic expectation that none of us can ever achieve. I wonder if it's time for us to reclaim compassion as Christ followers, as we try to come out of our dark hiding places and into the light. Krista Tippett spoke about compassion in a TED Talk back in 2010. So what are the components of compassion? First, she says, compassion is kind. Kindness is an everyday byproduct of all the great virtues. Compassion is also curious. This was a word that we used in our chaplaincy training that I just finished up. You can really show someone how much you care when you're curious about them and what they have to say. Compassion can be synonymous with empathy. It can be joined with the harder work of forgiveness and reconciliation. But it can also express itself in this simple act of presence. It's linked to practical virtues like generosity and hospitality and just being there, just showing up. She says that compassion also is often linked to beauty and by that she means a willingness to see beauty in the other, not just what it is about them that might need helping. <clears throat> Krista goes on to say, for the religious, for you and me, compassion also brings us into the territory of mystery, encouraging us not just to see beauty, but perhaps also to look for the face of God in the moment of suffering, in the face of a stranger. Kindness, curiosity, 
empathy, forgiveness and reconciliation, active presence, generosity and hospitality, beauty, mystery, showing up. I think this practice of compassion puts us downwind of the spirit, and that's a good thing. We're in the pathway, but I think we have to be careful to not wrap and tie up compassion with a neat little bow. Compassion is messy and sometimes complicated. And you know why? Because we're messy and complicated. There's a story about a memorable track event in Seattle, Washington at the Special Olympics some years ago. It later went viral on the internet. And the story is told that nine special needs youth all gathered at the starting line, anxiously awaiting for the drop of the flag to begin their 100-yard dash. A few yards in, one young man stumbled to the ground, face down and defeated, he lay on the track sobbing. It's reported that the other eight, hearing his sobs, all stopped in their tracks and returned to help him. Upon raising him from the ground and wiping away his tears, it's further reported that all nine of them linked arms and jogged to the finish line together. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Only thing, it's not true. Well, it's not altogether true. Spectators of the 1976 Seattle Special Olympics recall that the race started just as described, and one man did indeed fall to the ground. At that point, though, they recall a couple of the other kids stopped, helped him to his feet, and joined him crossing the finish line together. It's a subtle difference, but a significant one. We want to liken our experience in the church to events like this, how we hear someone's cry for help, and in one grand act of compassion, we all drop what we're doing, gather around, and triumphantly carry him to the finish line together. But it's not realistic, is it? It's not realistic to believe that every one of those special needs athletes were utterly selfless, much less even aware that the young man behind them had fallen. It is likewise unrealistic to expect that everyone in our church family is ready to be utterly selfless, putting the needs and encouragement of others above their own, or to think that everyone in our church is even aware of our downfall or our need. This story speaks into two issues about rebirth. First, we are flawed humans who are trying to follow Christ. Even if we are trying to practice compassion each and every day, knowing that rebirth is an ongoing process, some days are just better than others. Some days our eyes and our hearts are in sync and we show up at just the right time to offer love and support. Sometimes our heads are down, too filled with our own concerns and our own worries to even notice that another person has fallen. The other part of the problem that this story illustrates to me is that we're pretty good at hiding in the dark. We hide things like our shame, our insecurities, our perfectionism, and our low self-esteem. Most people don't even know when we've fallen. Maybe this is because many of us believe Mark Twain when he wrote, 
you should never tell anyone your problem because 80% of them won't care and the other 20% of them will think you deserve it. <laughs> Whatever the reason, we are afraid to show our brokenness and our flaws. We are afraid to ask for help. And to this too, I think Jesus says, come into the light, be real. Share your story. Be born into your authentic self. And you know how we can find the courage to come out of our dark hiding places? We can hear what Jesus told Nicodemus in the most popular verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but may have eternal life. Luther called this verse the gospel in a nutshell as it signals God's profound love for us and it indicates the depth to which God would go to convey this love for all of us, all of us broken people. It's followed up by a powerful verse that I think we should also tuck away in our hearts as well. It says, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And like the spirit, we don't control it. We are recipients of it. Friends, in Jesus, we are safe. We are saved. We can come out of our dark hiding places. All will be well. Robert Fulgham wrote a sweet book called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. The neighborhood kids were playing a game of hide and seek and Fulgham began reflecting on his childhood. And he writes, did you ever have a kid in your neighborhood who always hid so good nobody could find him? We did. After a while we would give up on him and go off leaving him to rot wherever he was. Sooner or later, he would show up all mad because we didn't keep looking for him. And we would get mad back because he wasn't playing the game the way it was supposed to be played. There's hiding and there's finding, we'd say. And he'd say it was hide and seek, not hide and give up. And we'd all yell about who made the rules and who cared about who anyway and how we wouldn't play with him anymore if he didn't get it straight and who needed him anyhow and things like that. Hide and seek and yell. No matter what, though, the next time he would hide too good again. He's probably still hidden somewhere, for all I know. Fulgham goes on to say, a man I know found out last year that he had terminal cancer. He was a doctor, and he knew about dying, and he didn't want to make his family and friends suffer through that with him. So he kept his secret, and he died. Everyone said how brave he was to bear his suffering in silence and not tell everybody. But privately, his family and his friends said how angry they were that he didn't need them, that he didn't trust their strength, and it hurt that he didn't say goodbye. He hid too well. Getting found would have kept him in the game, hide-and-seek grown-up style, wanting to hide, needing to be sought, confused about being found, I don't want anyone to know. What will people think? I don't want to bother anyone. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. The kids out in the street are hollering the cry that says, come on in, wherever you are. It's a new game. And for all of us, 
who have hid too well, crouching in the darkness, but longing for the light. It's a new game. It's a rebirth. Listen, I, I think I hear Jesus calling, Ali, Ali, oxen free. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we hide for so many different reasons. Lord, we pray that you would give us courage to step into the light. We pray that you would help us feel your presence so that when we go out, that we go with compassionate hearts, with eyes wide open, that we feel safe and secure in your love, a love that was so big that you would come to die so that we could live forever. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Surround me with a song.